Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of the Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All men are like grass and all their glory like the flower of the fields. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Would you pray with me, please? Father, once again, we've gathered here uh, together to worship you, to enjoy one another's company. And Lord, as part of that uh, worship that we offer you, we now turn our attention to your word. And we ask that you would do for us what you have been doing for your people down through the centuries, that you would speak to us. That we would hear your word this day, that we would recognize it as your word, that we would embrace it and endeavor to put it into practice in our lives. We confess that we're a needy people. That we need you, your strength and your power to live the life you've called us to. And we thank you that you have provided that for us through your spirit. And through your word, you instruct us, encourage us, and feed our souls. As for me, I ask that you would allow me to disappear behind the cross of Jesus Christ. That you and you alone would be exalted in our midst this day. And it's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Now today we're going to begin a study of the book of James. I know some of the ladies last fall studied that particular book, and that's uh, one of the reasons I put that off as I did instead of studying starting last year. We're going to start that study today, and uh, if you would like to join me in your Bibles, we'll turn to James chapter 1, where we're going to consider verse 1. I believe it's up on the screen for us today. On a day sometime in the decade of 30 A.D., the word went throughout the city of Jerusalem that Stephen, a good man and respected by Christians as one who was full of the Holy Spirit, had been stoned 
murdered in the streets by an angry mob led by the rulers of the people. A trial by the Sanhedrin was precipitated, led uh, by the rulers of the people. It was precipitated by disreputable men who made uh, bogus claims about Stephen. Uh, They stirred up the crowds by their false accusations, and Stephen was seized and brought before the Jewish high court in an impromptu session. And instead of answering their lies that came in the form of charges, he exposed the hearts of the leaders of the people. He revealed their hypocrisy. He passed judgment on his judges. And in their anger, the council was speechless. They ground their teeth in rage as they were frozen in their seats. But when a vision was given there to Stephen of Jesus Christ, whom they had betrayed and murdered, standing at the right hand of God, they became unglued. And they demonstrated that the judgment which Stephen had passed on them was indeed true. In violation of the law, they rushed at him, drug him into the streets, and stoned him to death. And all the while, Stephen prayed for them. The scripture tells us that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. That was the situation that the pastor of the church in Jerusalem found himself in. James lived in no quiet and peaceful world. He ministered in a world that skittered along chaotically toward some point in history or a time that seemed to loom larger and larger in all of the events of their life, casting its cold shadow on them. And in retrospect, we know that event was the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. by Titus Andronicus. An apocalyptic spirit sizzled in the air, which Christians understood in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And those outside the faith chafed under the rule of the Caesars. Judaism itself was in turmoil and being pulled apart by factions and political intrigues. The world seemed to be on the skids, speeding faster to its end. And the church there in Jerusalem itself was broken apart. All the strength and encouragement that those Christians had found uh, from one another and in each other was dispersed in a single fell swoop that scattered them like a baseball crashing through a picture window. They were scattered like so much dust on the wind, but when that wind died down, there were these little specks strewn throughout that part of the Roman Empire, these little specks, or more properly, seeds. And it's to those seeds that James, their pastor, the leader of the Jerusalem church, wrote sometime after the dust had settled. His letter was the earliest of all of the New Testament writings, and it takes the form not of a letter written to individuals or even to a group of individuals, but it was more like an open letter to the editor of a newspaper. James' intention as he sat down to write was that this letter would be 
published. And that was a common form of communication in that day. James knew what he was doing. He understood as he wrote that he would be addressing not only valued friends who had been scattered, but anyone who might read this letter. He also understood that he was placed in the precarious position of a prophet. He knew that he was addressing people who had had their lives shaken by a momentous act in history. And they continued to face such things, and others were watching them as they faced it. The persecution and the scattering that followed the martyrdom of Stephen was just one such event. And any good student of the Old Testament knows that God is the director of the drama of history. But the good student also knows that we need someone to interpret those scenes for us. That's what the prophet did. Uh, They interpreted God's actions in history, and they spoke the word of God to uh, the people that was fit for that particular situation they were in, like Ezekiel of old, who from Jerusalem addressed the Israelites in their captivity. So James also from that same city addresses the new people of God and others who were listening. We find in this book of James all the elements of the prophets. You find the interpretation of God's actions within the day. We see insight into the future, the commands, the warnings, the exhortations, the directness of a man who has a word from God. And all of it sounds strangely like the Old Testament to our listening ear. What else else would we expect from someone who was steeped in the Old Testament from birth and who preached from it regularly? And, And it's that fact, the fact that James preached regularly from that book, which is also a source of some of our own misunderstandings in the Western world of this book. You see, James adopted this form of a published letter, as I said, as a a standard device in the Roman world of that day, and he did it so he could communicate with people, but he filled that letter with his own sermons and style. And that style was like that of the Jewish synagogue preaching of the day. So unlike the Roman world, which is the precursor of our own, the Jewish synagogue homily it didn't uh, follow a logically unfolding outline of events. Instead, they intended to address any number of different ideas or topics, even on one day that impinged upon the immediate lives of their hearers. So those ideas, they bumped up against one another with no apparent logical connection between them. And that's made that book to us in the Western world almost impalatable. We we, we can't readily outline it. It frustrates our attempts. We can't pigeonhole it. But if we'll listen, if we'll listen in the way it was written, if we listen as it addresses each area of our life. Now, it seems to careen about in a haphazard sort of way. It really will speak to our hearts. Not only, though, 
does the listening here hear the rumblings of the Old Testament within the pages of this letter? If you're listening closely, you will also know that the voice of Jesus thunders on every page. But of course, it was the spirit of Jesus that inspired the words of the Old Testament. And James has wedded together both the words of Jesus spoken in the New Testament and those that he inspired in the writings of the Old Testament. And he has combined them into one powerful letter written to us today, uh, to the people of his day, addressing the ethical actions of those people. And as morality is a rock that doesn't change, so as he addressed them, he is speaking to us in our day. In the maddening swirl of events that catch up lives and toss them about like a tornado through a hay barn, in the midst of man's own doubts and turmoils, James spoke, the word of God to the people of his day and time. But to who exactly was he speaking? Who really was his audience? Well, to begin with, we can get some glimpse of who he was writing to by seeing how he addresses them in the second half of verse 1 in the greeting here. James writes to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, the opening of this letter sounds strange to us, I think. And as accustomed as we are to the introductions of our own letters, we're not likely to spend very much time here. You know, in our letters, the introduction is merely a matter of form. So much so that we'll say things like, dear Madam slash sir. You know, madam and sir are formal terms, and, and the word dear is a term of endearment, but we take those in a letter and we put those together. We put the word dear with the word sir and madam, and any hint that we did mean to be tender would almost certainly make some people feel uncomfortable. So we're likely to pass over greetings in any letters. And yet, Don't we know that the scripture is given by inspiration of God, and that includes even the greetings in the letters themselves, and to pass slightly over them would be a mistake. But even if we try to pay attention to it, we're brought up short by the term itself, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. What does that mean? But we remember from our Sunday school days that the nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes. So is that who is he writing to? Is he writing to the Jewish nation? Well, in part, the answer is yes, but only in part, and it's a small part. You see, James knew that many people would read his letter. So he was glad if any one of those fellow Jews who didn't know Jesus as their Savior might be exposed to him through his writing. The words, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, would certainly arrest the attention of the unbelieving Jew. But that term is also a technical term, and a Jew or a Jewish Christian would understand it. It was the diaspora, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, means the people of God 
living in the midst of a world of unbelievers. The image really is of seed that has been broadcast out into the field. And at each place where that seed is planted, a, a plant takes root and it grows. But what grows there isn't corn or spelt or, or soybeans or anything like but that, but an outpost of the kingdom of God. And the primary audience that James was addressing was the Christians scattered after the persecution of Stephen. And so if an unbelieving Jew were to read the letter after that, so much the better. And of course, that term 12 tribes could apply not just to the physical Israel, but also to spiritual Israel, to any Christian who had put their faith in Jesus. So he addressed it first, the Christians that were scattered after the persecution and then any Christian that knew Christ and then the Jew who might read that letter and then any believer whatsoever throughout time. James intended all of them to read that letter and what he was saying to them was hear the word of God. Listen you who are scattered and here. And that term really gives us insight into James' own understanding of the people he was writing to. He understood what they were up against. He understood the difficulties of living out the faith in the midst of an unbelieving world. To be an outpost of the kingdom of God means to live in contradiction to the world around you. It means to be different in the world that strives constantly to squeeze you into its own mold, to make you after its own image, to stamp you out with cookie-cutter perfection into its own little shapes. And James understood that. You are the diaspora. You're the people of God scattered among believers to be an outpost of love and a hostile world. And to be an outpost of the kingdom of God means you have the unbelieving world constantly fling into your face the question, if your God is so good, how come? How come there's evil in the world? How come he doesn't show himself? How come there are wars and death and hunger and hatred? Why are there bad people in the world? Why doesn't God do something? And what the unbeliever is really asking is, why doesn't he do something besides die? Why doesn't he make my life easy? To be one of the 12 tribes scattered among the nations means to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. It means enduring the scorn of the unbelievers of this world who wants to unmake the essential you the you that's made after the image of God. And James understood that was what he was writing. That was the people he, he was writing to. And that's what we face. And in the utterance of a prophet, in that short phrase, he identified the people he was writing to as the people that were scattered as outposts of the kingdom of God but they were scattered by God himself to accomplish his 
purposes. The original diaspora of the Jews was where God's method of reaching the world for himself. The, he, he, the Jews of that day weren't fulfilling their uh, obligation to reach the world. They were self-obsessed. And uh, so God scattered them. They began to see themselves as they were. And then they were out there to touch different parts of the world. That act in history, that scattering of the people of God after the martyrdom of Stephen is interpreted for us by James as an act of God to plant outposts of people of the kingdom throughout that part of the world. And James understood the people he was writing to were facing. He understood the things they were going through, and he understood why they were facing it, because God put them there. Now, as you read further in this letter, you're going to find that James also understood other things about the people he wrote to. He knew not only the trials from without, but also those that came from within. And so he hear him say over and over things like persevere, pray, control your tongue, do good works. At every point in this letter, he warns, he encourages, he commands, he implores, he rebukes the sinful tendencies of the people of God. And one commentator said that James addresses the condition of doubleness, the condition that we often have of being divided between our loyalty to God and the attractive lore of the world. At every turn, he's advising us to move from our halfway faith to a wholehearted commitment to God. But always as he speaks, James is humble and caring. He addresses his readers as brothers, my brothers or my dear brothers, 15 times in this short letter. And that term says much. It expresses James' humility. He's not some kind of a pontiff. He's a fellow servant. Uh, It speaks theologically. We who are Christians are all part of the same family, and it exhibits his tenderness. See, the people James wrote to were just like us. They were believers who had to live out their faith in the midst of an unbelieving world. They, They were people subject to the same follies that we are, and James understood it, and he understood it deeply. In one sense, when you think about what we live in, the world we live in today, and all the things that are going on, that hostility of the world, our own sinful nature, seeing the situation that we are in in our own lives, sometimes don't we want to ask, why doesn't God do something for us? And, of course, as soon as the question is out of our mouth, we realize he's done for us. He's given us the church. He's given us his spirit. He said Jesus has died to eradicate sin and to open the heaven's door. But he has done at least one more thing for us. You see, God sees the situation that we find ourselves in. Christians who are beleaguered find themselves in, and he gives them a letter the Bible. And the book of James is one of those letters, and it was written by one who had himself been dramatically changed by God. 
And we get some insight of that when we look at how James refers to himself at the beginning of verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a servant. But he was more than a servant. You know that. I mean, he was the son of Mary. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And he calls himself a servant. That's his preferred title, more than anything else, more than even calling himself the Lord's brother. And that indicates his true humility. Unlike Joseph's brothers who weren't willing to bow to him, James willingly bows before Jesus. And it indicates a deep understanding on the part of the James to the extent of the difference between himself and Jesus. And make no mistake about it, when James says he's a servant of God and Jesus, uh, he, he was not saying he served two masters. He knew better than that. Jesus taught that was impossible. What he was doing was acknowledging that Jesus was the second person of the Trinity. He'd never heard that formulation of words, but if he heard them, he would have agreed with it. But it wasn't always so. I mean, we learn in the New Testament that James did not believe in Jesus before the, cru- the resurrection. He wasn't pr- present at the crucifixion, so Jesus had to entrust the care of his aging mother to his disciples. And when the faith did become real in James, it was complete. It didn't stop at his head. It infected everything about him. There was a kind of basic change in his attitude. And that letter starts off with a humble acknowledgement of who is really in authority. It's Jesus. James is merely a servant seeking to serve God. And I think, in a sense, we might be a little bit like James was before he was converted. I mean, we're familiar with the faith. We know Jesus, but are we as intimate with it as we should be? James knew Jesus as his brother, but he didn't know him Savior and Lord. We know him as Savior. But aren't we still learning that he's our Lord? James helps us because he recognizes himself and the people he writes to. You see, God sees the situation that the beleaguered Christian finds himself in, the hostility of an unbelieving world and, and the pull of the sinful nature within, and he sends a letter written by a man that had himself been deeply changed by the faith. I think we need to understand something else about this letter. We need to understand that this letter communicates the heart of God to us. As we read this letter, it's understandable that James writes as a pastor, concerned about the people he's writing with. And James has that pastor's heart, but he's first and foremost a servant of God and Jesus. And so Jesus is concerned with us or for us in a pastoral way. The message of this letter it originates with James, and yet it really originates farther back from the heart of God, as all of the writings of the Bible do. Somehow it seems it has to be an encouragement to us that a man can be so deeply changed by the faith that in his union with God, that man can have a heart which expresses the love and the care and the concern of our God for other people. 
It's kind of almost like one of those special photographs that they use to take a picture of the sun on a really bright day through a telescope. You know, the picture shows you a true image of that sun. You can see the sun in that picture, but you can also see what lies behind the brightness. You can see that conflagration that's happening there in that sun. And so is this picture of this letter. It shows us the heart of James, but it shows us what's behind that heart. It shows us the heart of God. The light of God shines through the man. It burns into the text in order to set our hearts on holy fire. Now it really seems to me that this letter of James is doubly confirmed because the change in the man communicates to us. He himself is a reflection of what he says and what God is and how he's concerned about us. In other words, the writer's life validates his writing and both of them reflect God's heart. So God sent us a letter from a man who was so changed that he could communicate to us God's heart as we face the task of living out the faith in an unbelieving world and with all that turmoil from within. Now, there's one more thing I want to say about this first verse here in James, and that's about this word that's translated here, greetings. You know, in one sense, the translation is a good one. See, that word had almost become merely a means of starting a letter. It almost become kind of like a hello. It had almost become like our dear madam slash sir. But it originally meant joy to you. And that's the way James meant it. See, it was a desire of his heart. And so it's the desire of God's heart that we should know joy. That's the intent of the rest of this letter. By being obedient, we should know real and true and unending joy. The world is set against the faith. Where Christians are outposts of the kingdom. And we must shine as light in a dark place. We're the natural inhabitants of that darkness to desire to extinguish all of that light. Where the trials come upon the Christian from within and from without. It's comforting to know that God can so change a man that his heart reflects the love and concern of It's comforting to know that the power of his words have the power of the word, the word of God. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to you, an outpost of of the kingdom of God in a dark world. Joy be to you. 
hear and obey the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, once again, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would use it in our lives to change us, to mold us, to make us more and more with each passing day into the people you want us to be. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you all stand?